Hello, everyone, watching and listening. Greetings from Denver this time, and welcome to the Free Radical Podcast, episode number four. This is your host, Jami Patmanav, and today I'm blessed and excited to be in the company of a very dear, very appreciated friend and companion on this Bhakti project, Bhakti journey, Tamal Krishna Prabhu. Tamal Krishna, thank you so much for joining. And I'd like to read a brief bio from Tamal Krishna before we move forward. Tamal Krishna is a storyteller, contemplative, and social philosopher. His primary motives are decolonizing the psyche, transmutation of darkness, and and the individuation of absolute identity. Tamal was a brahmachari monk for 11 years. During that time, he lived a contemplative life in Vrindavan with saints, and toured twice annually in Europe, the US and South America, teaching Bhakti Yoga. He was also trained in shamanism, ancestral cosmic vision and ceremonial arts for four years in the Andean Sacred Valley. In 2020, Tamal founded the Sri Ramana Purnim School of Prayer, his life work project, through which he offers ceremonial kirtan, kata retreats, private training in devotional communion, and occasionally literature. He also leads an intimate communal process at his humble ashram in the forest of North Florida, U.S. And for those who would like to know more about Tamal, I'm sharing now at the end as well a link with some of his presentations. For those who are only hearing, the link is soundcloud.com slash Tamal without A at the end, Krishna, K-R-S-N-A. So... Personally, I've met Tamal a few years ago, although we we have been in touch for a few years before that. And naturally, I felt very connected to him, like one more bird of the same feather that I would like to flock together with. And recently, also, I've had the fortune to stay with him in in his ashram, especially Rangini Bhavan Ashram in Alacha. We shared a few days with him, with Jai Jagannath, Evan, and other devotees doing a very nice program also for Guru Purnim. So, to begin with, Tamal Krishna, I'd like to ask some of the guests, of all of my guests, why you consider it important to, to join in this particular conversation, and in connection to that, what, what radical personalism means to you? Yeah, I, the first thing, radical personalism is homegrown relationships. So from heart to heart, from friend to friend, you ask me to step in this conversation with you. And that's the most important thing for me. A living individual who is by the arrangement of yoga maya, by the arrangement of fate, our paths have crossed. And we have yet to discover really the full like swaroop of our relationship. But there's some, you know, sparkles of uh, profound, a sense of destiny. There's some moment in history that's asking for certain conversations. You know, there's certain dialogue, global dialogue that wants to be refreshed. I remember I became convinced about Krishna consciousness when I read Srila Sridhar Maharaj for the first time. I said, oh, you can talk about it like this? I had read my Guru Maharaj's books, I had read Prabhupada's books, but I wasn't convinced. And when I read Srila Sridhar Maharaj, his language, I was like, okay, then I'm in. You know, I needed that kind of discussion. I needed things, my personal spirit, 
you know, my nature needed a certain kind of conversation. And I think that you are stepping into that conversation. I am also aware of that conversation and watching from the forest mostly, but thinking a lot. I think a lot about the needs of the age, the needs of the moment, the needs of the mission in particular. Radhika, uh, Radhika's personalism. You know, what are Radharani's interests? What about Bhaktivedi's interests? And um, yeah, radical personalism to me means uh, actually addressing and curing the root disease of all suffering, which is impersonalism. That uh, you know, the soul is on its unique quest, life after life, trying on different bodies and different roles just to find her own identity, her permanent sense of self, name, form, qualities, service pastimes, and discarding bodies one after the next because it doesn't fit. So radical personalism to me, going to the root, radical, of, of the issue. It's the same for every living entity. We're all suffering because we're not yet found our holy grail, the body that we really belong to, that permanent identity. And so radical personalism means like finishing, finishing samsara, finishing this quest that is life after life we're compelled to suffer because we haven't found our own shore yet. We haven't washed up on the firm shore of our real identity, not just being like soul, but identity, personal identity. So radical personalism has to be, for those who like that language or not, it's about, you know, swarup realization, to realize your true nature. Hmm. Otherwise, how will cure impersonalism if the void where, in the core of the heart where there's no face and no name, if it's mm -hmm. not with a face and name, there's no, the personalism medicine is not reaching the core issue yet. So that's not where we always start everyone from. But that is, if we're talking about radical personalism, it can only mean solving the problem of non-identity, which solves all problems. Thanks so much for sharing and Shedding further, further light into the concept of radical personalism, because as I like to put in my book, I mean, what I'm writing in the book is just like a kickstart for an ongoing conversation that I'm not even starting. I mean, it has always been going on for eternity, because as you mentioned, radical personalism ultimately has to do with discovering all that we can be as individuals in connection to the supreme personality of Godhead, to the supreme individuated being. So... That's an anadi without beginning conversation, but somehow, as you mentioned, some side case, some chapters in the history of humanity require further push or, or addressing the conversation with renewed strength or renewed depth. So, I mean, I'm fortunate just to be part of that and, and I'm fortunate to be talking to you about that today. So, <clears throat> so today, the title of today's episode, for those of you who do not know, is Living Prayer. You can take living as a verb. You can take living as an adjective. In both cases, it applies. So I personally thought about, or, or we thought together with Tamal Krishnaberg about this topic and this idea, since I consider personally very important uh, on some level, this concept of prayer, I feel, as I will mention now, and we'll read from radical personalism, somehow the role of prayer is somehow underestimated in some sections of our community. Uh, for me, it's so important that I made a whole chapter on, the, on my book about it. And also I consider talking with Tamal about this since not only because Tamal Krishna has his own school of prayer, Sri Raman Purnim, but also because he wrote a very interesting treatise in this connection called Gore Yuga. Some of you may be aware of it. 
So let me read briefly the few lines from Radical Personalism, in which I mentioned this particular radical, which is radical contemplation. Uh, for those who have the book, you will find that in page number 100. This is part two of the book, The Manifesto. So it says like this. The proper appreciation and role of prayer remains underestimated in many Gaudiya circles, being reduced to mere repetition instead of heartfelt invocation, to counting instead of chanting, to quantity instead of quality. Daily established periods of focused prayer and contemplative introspection could, could add deeper layers of insight and experience in the lives of many. We call this radical contemplation. So basically this section is somehow tied to today's topic, living prayer. So let's officially begin, Tamal. Any thoughts you would like to share to begin with in connection to what I just read or the very notion of prayer, whatever comes inspiring your heart in this precise moment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that permission. Whatever comes in this precise moment. The whole yeah. If you can get a little closer to the computer, speak a little louder, that will be great. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's a whole cosmos full of stars. You know, the topic of prayer is the, the vastest human endeavor. You know? <clears throat> so I appreciate the permission to just. What came for me directly was I remembered immediately uh, just this word contemplation. For me, it's a little unclear. You know, it's it's been used like, for example, Santa Teresa de Avila. And mm -hmm. then for all the scripture disciples, San Juan de la Cruz, they will use different terms, even one generation to the next. We're living a very intimate conversation of prayer and sharing their internal life. Even they will use these terms differently. It's not mm -hmm. like Sanskrit, which is so precise and like has a you know permanent absolute nature in those syllables. So yeah, I just it made me remember a book I read so many years ago at the beginning when I was about 19 years old, uh, by a woman called Frances Folks. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a book called Effectual Prayer. Effectual you know, Prayer, okay. Prayer that has effect. It was written in the 1800s mm -hmm. sometimes. She was a vegetarian, uh, like, housewife and mystic in a, a certain a vegetarian Christian community that was really into prayer and healing. And she writes, in the, it's a short little book, and um, I, it has five steps of prayer, you know, preparation. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's like, first is relaxation. It's like, actually breathe and, like, Settle your nervous system. You're about to try to put yourself in the presence of God. You're about to try to approach the altar of grace. So yeah. sober your nerves and, you know. Like Sanatan Goswami mentioning the pranayamas preliminary to engaging yeah. in. For those, who live, for those who live in the forest, as you mentioned, in the Guru Purnima class. <laughs> yeah. Not so rigorous though. Just a little chilling out. Settle yeah. yourself, yourself down. The relaxation. Then preparation. Search your heart if there's any place where you have a knot for anyone, for anything, even a person, uh, a situation where you have a knot that you think this is, they are not right, this is not right, and, and forgive, let it go, untie that knot, let yourself go from the emotional anchor, because if your heart wants to approach God, it has to be ready to be flexible, it has to be mm -hmm. ready to be stretched, it has to be ready to, and then she mentions the third step is meditation, so you take some verse of the Holy Scripture, some lila, you know, and you consider that, you know, now the prayer is considering and taking it inside and considering this thing. And then at a certain moment, organically, step three, 
meditation moves to the step four, contemplation. Just like yeah. if you're eating bread, a piece of bread, there's a time that you're trying, you're chewing, arr, arr, arr. and at a certain moment without thinking, you swallow. And the mm. digestive process goes deeper. It continues at a deeper level without the same external effort. And then finally, what she calls in the book is like union with God. I was like a teenager when I read this book, but reading it once and trying it, it was the first time I was 19 and I was like, let me just try this method. Let me try for the first time in my life a method of prayer. Like mm. how do I, by increments, approach the presence of God? Before prayer to me was just like asking for help. But this mm -hmm. is like, how do I shift? What is the art of shifting myself step by step, layer by layer into a profound availability? You know, instead of just in my same normal state, not being porous to even receive something new, you know, having a tough membrane of like utilitarian daylight activity, not changing mm -hmm. and trying to approach God. It's like water off a duck's back. You know, the ducks, they swim in the water and they pop up in the water. They're so oily, their feathers, it doesn't stick. Mm -hmm. So she talks about this and she mentions contemplation is like when the bread drops in. It's the time when. You've been meditating, you've been applying your effort, and by some grace, Buddha Yoga, as Krishna says, the topic, what you're meditating on, it goes to a deeper place and it becomes suddenly very uh, natural to be absorbed in that. And some insights are coming and some new way of putting things together. Maybe the verse has like you know, primary colors, red, blue, yellow. With these three colors, a painter can make any color. Mm -hmm. So maybe the verse has a few bits of information. In the meditation stage, you're chewing on the few bits of revealed. You're not speculating. You're not making anything up. You're taking something authoritative, revelation. You're working on that. And when it drops in, suddenly those three colors can combine. Hmm. Suddenly those basic, simple elements that are there, they can speak to each other. And you can discover new things about what is the mood of the Lord in this situation. Many, many kinds of insight can be illuminated. So when I think of contemplation, the word itself is, it sounds to me like thinking. But mm. I remember the book where Francis mm. she's saying, no, contemplation is deeper than thinking. It's yeah. like a spontaneous state. It's specifically when prayer becomes a spontaneous flow. And now you're like in a canoe, you know, the river is moving, but you're also active, but the river is also moving. They're both mm. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me how many Christian mystics actually refer, refer to contemplation as synonymous with prayer and they will refer to contemplation as a gift, not something like, I will do contemplation. But it's something that comes, as you mentioned, as a result of some preliminary stages that you have to do yourself. And, and contemplation or prayer, in, in their cases, they will say prayer is something that happens to us. It's not something that we do. No? And, and sometimes you, you can say, prayer happened today and I was there. Now, that's kind of the mood in terms of conceiving prayer or, or contemplation as, as a gift. In my, in my book, I mentioned um, contemplation, at least for me, and I understand how it can go to an idea about thinking, but I like the etymology of the word, which basically means contemplum, which means with temple, like, like basically reside within the temple. And of course, there is the temple in this case is internally, like Bhakti Notak will say, Ma Mama Mandir. Now we are to, to to reside in that particular temple and, and the possibility to, to take shelter there it will be like a, a gift. And I appreciate what, what you mentioned regarding these stages of the of the book, that effectual prayer you mentioned, because that, that kind of reminds me of, of also the Christian method of Lectio Divina, in which 
you, you read some passage from scripture, then you ruminate on that. You chew what has been chewed <laughs> in another way, no? some, some, some type of thinking about it as much as you can and reaching the limit of your own thinking capacity and then entering the space of prayer. What does it mean to me is one thing. Now prayer to God, what does it mean to you? What I'm just reading and I'm being willing and open to receive that particular revelation and entering into, again, contemplation as a gift. And something that kick-started regarding what you mentioned, because you briefly mentioned, okay, for me, prayer before was asking for help. So I like if you, if you wish, we can share a few thoughts about what prayer is not, because sometimes we need that negative impetus. Sometimes it may be even more revealing and clarifying for some people what to, what prayer is not instead of what actual prayer is, because we, need, we may need to deconstruct a few false myths, so to say. And, and some of those, at least, that come to my mind immediately are like, okay, I don't know, prayer, the, the fourth myth of thinking prayer is about uh, changing God's mind about me, basically, instead of changing my mind about God, so to say, <laughs> and being open to rediscover who he is. Or, or even some, as I put in my book, prayer as a form of God domestication, mm -hmm. trying to domesticate God so he can become a, servant to my so-called sweet will which is generally not sweet at all or even prayer and praying can false prayer so-called prayer can be understood as uh, how to say like something that i do with the shallow confidence that i'm doing it correctly no? okay i have my daily prescribed prayer or number of rounds or number of whatever and i'm doing it so conducting the act so to say from that type of spirit which of course goes against the very essence of prayer. So I don't know what you think about that. Anything to share in that connection? Mm, what prayer is not? I mean, that's, yeah, we could just. That's another. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's the first thing that comes to me is prayer is not something that one does alone. It's mm -hmm. not something I can do. It's something we can do. It's a mm -hmm. collaboration. It's like going in a workshop uh, with grace and seeing what we can work on today. There's some projects in there, in the workshop of the heart. And there's, you know, some things are, I might want to work on, you know, my eternal aspirations. I might be like, ooh, let's go over here to the painting studio where my eternal aspirations are. And she may be like, she's not in the mood. She's like, no, today we're going to work on this like dirty, broken black engine. You know, it's like really, you know, there's a lot of fuel locked in this. There's so much energy in there that you need. Mm. It may be that I want to go up and she wants to go down. And um, it only happens with us, you know, grace and oneself together have to come to an agreement. And she's always in control. So we can't, we don't get a result that she's, that she's like, yes, you know, grace wants all things for us. Mm -hmm. Every type of healing and every type of, you know, wholeness and every type of success. Of course, grace by definition wants that for us. But she knows when, what. So Prayer is not something I do by myself because I can't see in the dark like she can. I don't know really what's what's the point right now. So prayer is not something that uh, one can know what's going to happen. Mm. You know, it can't it can't be formulaic. Prayer is not the same as the approach. I was thinking just in, when you were speaking a moment ago that our sadhan. At least my sadam, I'm not chanting Shuddha Nam. I'm not able to, I don't have such love that my calling 
you know, compels the true and living God in the form of his holy name to dance upon my tongue and reveal himself. Like I haven't convinced him yet. My faith and my love have not yet convinced him. You know, he's tender and he's shy and he's not convinced yet. So I'm courting him when he's, right? So I was thinking my sadhan, at least for myself, mm-hmm. my sadhan is not prayer. My sadhan is the approach. You know, all of my sudden, the formula, the getting up early in the morning and sitting in the starlight and starting the mala and waking the deities and the whole, you know, I won't say elaborate compared to others, but for me, for my simple life, it's a, it's a big endeavor every day. Um, and it's all just a container. Prayer is not the container. Prayer is the encounter that happens in the container. And sadhana, what's measurable is the container. Mm-hmm. Prayer is the communion. I think prayer, you can say, is synonymous with contemplation, synonymous with all kinds of things. But most directly, the word that suits me best of what is prayer is communion, which means like coming together. We meet each other, and maybe, you know, it's a meeting like when the gopis are singing Gopi Gita. Krishna's just there behind the tumult tree, but he's hidden. He's not showing himself. So he's definitely there, and his proximity <laughs> is provoking. Mm-hmm come out so he's definitely participating there definitely it's a collaboration by his uh, apparent um, absence the presence of his absence is a dynamic force that provokes for someone who's not thinking that if I think that the formula is the prayer that the container is the substance and that I'm the doer by myself then I will miss that actually you know we can be frustrated oh I've been chanting for so many years and I don't feel mm-hmm. Christian it's like have you learned to understand his presence in his absence and how that's a dynamic force that's actually working on you if you lean into it it would transform you you know to squirm let it make you squirm the failure of your own efforts until you fully fully uh, abandon from the core of your heart this mm-hmm. false enslaving notion that you can do it by yourself squirm and suffer the dryness you know and that's his breath. You know, sometimes his sweetness is a desert breath, mm-hmm. a baking <laughs> breath upon the soft, wet clay of our heart to make it ready to hold. You know? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. No, no, I, I was thinking as, about your description of sadhana as, as the container and, and, and that recall that took me my took my mind to Srila Jiva Goswami when he's commenting, if I'm not mistaken, on Kriti Sadhya Babet Sadhya, in the verse that Rupa Goswami writes to define sadhana bhakti. Basically, he says <clears throat> sadhana bhakti is kind of the preliminary functions before this, the yagna is officially performed, so to say. You know, the yagna of bhava bhakti, the yagna of prem bhakti, the yagna of communion and immersion in divine love. So, it's like if you are to do the yagna first, you have to go and get the wood from the forest and the ghee from the cow. And all that is not official. It's not the yagna in itself, but it's the yagna at the same time, veda ved, so to say. So I appreciate your point of defining sadhana as, as the, the container. The other, last week we were talking on another topic with Dev Mahaprabhu, how it's connected to this. We were talking about the importance of, of preparing sacred ground for sacred space for vulnerability to be properly expressed. So I, I couldn't avoid relating what you were telling in this connection, you know, that, like our daily endeavors have to do with preparing this sacred platform, sacred ground space, 
So we can be fully vulnerable in prayer because prayer is about being vulnerable, being naked, being seen, seen by God through his eye of unconditional love, which is not so easy to, to tolerate, so to say, especially, as you mentioned, when he's participating from darkness, which I really appreciated that, that point. No? Trust the darkness, no? because prayer is entering into unknown territory. And generally, we are addicted to certainty. We are addicted to light, even, not to darkness. <laughs> we, we are not willing to wear the, the brightness of darkness, so to say. No? I mean, but then there is something that is shining in, in, in the cave, so to say, and, and prayer is all about that, entering the cave of the heart and finding some other different type of light. And, and I really appreciated the example of, of Krishna the Gopi Gita. You know, he's participating from darkness. And, and that participation is completely crucial for the whole project to succeed, so to say. And I think that many of us, and I, I'm including in the, in the equation, I mean, in this attempt of still trying to convince him Bhagavan about my intentions and approach, but we are on work in progress. And many of us are, are terrified about darkness or uncertainty, even though we may have some taste of it, but to fully inhabit the land of uncertainty and possibilities, because that's grace. You no know, grace for me is the land of, of potential and possibilities, but possibilities mean a lot of things that I don't have a clue what will they are about. <laughs> but prayer means that. I mean, I am entering a space with all that, all everything can happen, all that I need can happen, but all that I need, I have no idea what's all that I need. And I already make a very limited list of things I think I need. Mm -hmm. And I'm approaching prayer with that list in my hand. And of course, the result will be very shallow, very frustrating. But to be open to all that can happen in prayer, I mean, like I see here, Carolina, I will share some few messages in between. Carolina from Argentina is mentioning, we could start by showing up, which of course sounds like not too much, but it's very important and it has a lot to do with, I, I mentioned that in my book with vulnerability, like show up. So I remember one definition from of vulnerability from um, Brene Brown. She says, vulnerability means to have the courage to show up when you don't have any control over the outcome. <laughs> For me, was, I can put prayer and, and then define prayer in that way similarly. No, prayer means to have the courage to show up when you have no control over the outcome. <laughs> but of course, having the, the confidence and, and the certainty that that participation from darkness of grace of God there is everything I need. So I don't have any idea what's going on and what will happen, but I'm totally sure that whatever has to happen is that what I need. So mm -hmm. there's a word for it. And um, I just learned some really lovely new, uh, I guess it's Greek. Greek word. Let's, no. let's see which word. Nyctophilia. Nyctophilia. N-Y-C-T-O. Nyctophilia. Mm -hmm. the love of darkness the love of the mm. dark to love it you know to love it to find intimacy there you know in mm. the i learned a wonderful song in um in the sweat lodge you know if you've ever been in a sweat lodge i know you spend some time in the rinda mission and they do tamaskal sometimes and just complete darkness it's completely back to roots of you know you're naked or in a little coffin or something sitting on the bare grass on the earth and it's just hot stones and and crying and singing inside a dark little microcosm. Inigaga, mm -hmm. the Inipi is the microcosm of all things, and the creator comes very present there. And one, one song I learned there, In the Dark, very sweet, 
know, one of my favorite, most touching things. Uh, it's uh, in Lakota language, it says, Hanepi kimite waelo wayonkieyo hupa kiglake waheyahu elo weyayaho elo Says Hanipi Kimita, Wailo, Wayankieo. Oh, behold, how amazing. A bat has come. And the bat is announcing, uh, The night is mine. The night is mine. Hmm. And it's not like someone's coming saying, Hey, this is mine. What are you doing in this sacred darkness? Get out. He's saying, Hey, this is mine. I'm the one who knows the pathways here. I'm the one who knows how to have the conversation by which you can navigate this mystery. Because in the end of the day, all the birds who are so celebrated by the poets and mystics as like angelic inspiration, the birds, they're so free. They're in the heavens and in the trees. And nighttime comes and they all pop in for the night and just wait till it's over. They just like waiting till the sun comes again for that moment of like clarity and, you know, known goodness uh, mm -hmm. appears again. But one blind person gets up in the night and that's the bat. Not only is it dark out, but she's blind on top of that. So double darkness. And she's singing a song. You know, in the song, it's saying, it's very sweet, kind of graceful. And that's, if you ever see the bats at dusk, you know, they're twirling and dancing. They're not just soaring like birds, yeah. they're not gliding. They're dancing in the darkness. And they're dancing like their life depends on it because they're having a conversation. They send a, a, a signal out. And then the darkness, because they can't see anything, answers them back an echo. And so they know mm. there's an obstacle here, there's something mm. here. But if they're like, okay, now I know something, and stop singing, they'll hit a tree and they will die. You know, flying at that speed, their head will crack, they literally will die. So they're flying in this space of the mystery, nowhere else, no one else can go, by having a constant conversation, like their life depends on it. It's not like sometimes. You know, mm. like this prayer, this communion with Wakantanka, with the great mystery, with Krishna, who's hidden in the dark. Actually, Tamal is a tree, but actually Tamala means embracing the darkness, who has taken shelter of the darkness. Mm. It's the great mystery. He's hiding himself. <clears throat> and meanwhile, you know, gopis are singing, and he's just nearby hearing, and they're feeling, oh, he's where have you gone? When have you come? But he's so close to them that he's like pulling his charter on his head like a veil. He's crying out, oh, Sham, oh, Sham. He's so close to them, he forgot himself. Hmm. As close as possible to them. Hmm. You know, empathizing with their mood of separation that's so sweet to him. He's not far away like, let's see some more groveling. Let's see if you really want me. He's like completely empathically united, feeling what they're feeling with them. And the bat and the night, it's like this symbiosis. This, you know, who else is going to dance for me? except the one who's ready to die for it. You know, the night is like everyone else just waits for the sun to come back. You know, the birds have two kinds of songs. They have a like morning song, Jai, the sun has come. And they have an evening song like, oh, please come back. <laughs> and the nighttime, they just like, you know, just try to get through it. There's a rare person, this little bat. And so when in the sweat lodge, when they sing that song, and he's saying, hey, the night is mine. It's like, I know the ways I can teach you. In the Bible, they say the Holy Spirit came on Jesus like a white dove. Mm -hmm. That Holy Spirit, that Kripa Shakti, that 
sweetness of God, the health of God can come in any form. It can come in the form of a bat also, you know, to teach us. You know, it's a, what do you call it? Drishtanta Guru, this allegory, mm. image of nature, like the 24 Gurus. Mm-hmm. But it's still God speaking through all of nature is coded with his poetry. And he's telling us a hundred thousand things about how to pray in nature. And that's a big, big, big guru of how to pray. And this, what you're bringing now, this darkness and mystery place. Yeah. can't stop the conversation. <laughs> you have to speak like your life depends on it. Live at the edge of your necessity, the fullness of necessity. And then somehow mysteriously you become free and can dance while still being Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not poetry you know it maybe sounds to poetry to some but those who are trying to do bhajan it's like oh. yeah yeah chitani sritam tells i check a bit to be new nahirasara prachar i mean at one point the highest reality has to i mean you need to resort to poetry so it's, it's not that the poetry is some exaggerate superficial imposed device we have to invoke to tell some things you ultimately highest reality is poetry so that's the only language available to to try to 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 touch that so i, I appreciate the, the invoking of of the rasa lila somehow because that has a lot i mean for us that's the zenith of of all lilas the crown jewel of it but it has so much to do with darkness in so many levels i mean it has so much to do with to running into darkness gop is hearing krishna's flute and not having even a second thought about it not having even a first thought no, there were no Gyansonya Bhakti, Srila Siddha Maharaj will say, brain dead bhakti. Just the heart runs immediately. There is no filter, no calculation. Mm-hmm. And it's middle of the night entering a very dense, thick forest, darkness in every single form. And the one who is playing the flute is darkness personified. No? Krishna himself, Sham Sundar, Ganesham, the dark cloud. In Christianity, they have this idea of the cloud of unknowing that that that, that is between God and us, we have to penetrate that thick layer of darkness by embracing embracing mystery. And again, Rasa Lila is all about darkness, how the gopis eventually reach Krishna, and Krishna tells them, go back home. So they are thrown into another layer of liminal space, like we came here, now he's behaving in this apparently crooked way, another layer of darkness, of mystery, what he, what he means, what he wants. Then first session of Rasa Lila starts, uh, and eventually Krishna disappears. So again, another layer of darkness, uncertainty, because Krishna somehow is not yet fully satisfied. He wants he wants to upgrade the experience of Rasa. So for that, for that he feels okay. We need further layers of of darkness here, of mystery, of uncertainty. And of course, the gopis are are totally expert in navigating those. No? So eventually, as you know, as you mentioned, this converges into the famous Gopi Gita with Krishna. As you mentioned, hearing that and becoming so much affected that in one sense, that's, if you want to put it in one way, that's the very genesis of Gaur Lila. I don't, I don't want to go there because that's a no-return journey and, and the topic of prayer is over, although it's, it's an extension of that. But <laughs> because Mahaprabhu, uh, Krishna returns from after Gopi Gita and he will say the Gopi Napari, Hamnirabhadya, Sanjuyam, and so on, declaring himself, I'm an eternal debtor and, and, the, and the degree of, of, of you willing to be to die in calling me and immersing in that reality i mean that has become made of me an eternal debtor and i don't know what to do but i will figure it out and we call that figuring out gorlila <laughs> but but i appreciate the point you mentioned about the willingness 
to die, uh, or, or basically the, the need to remain in that conversation unless, uh, until, if not, that will be a form of death. And although entering that conversation is a form of death in itself, you know, because we could say that prayer, as I remember once, uh, it was Richard Rohr, and he told me like, prayer is a training, training in dying. Hmm. And, 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 and for me came this epiphany, like, because I remember he told me that and then I was watching someone talking with someone else and they were expressing, they were very learned people, but though both of them in their conversation became very vulnerable. This was in Argentina. And they said, uh, non-devotees, no non-spiritualists, some, some other group of people, but they were saying, I'm terrified about death. And I'm constantly thinking about that. Uh, and immediately, this thing from Richard Rohr came, prayers a training in dying, like implying, if you don't die before dying, you will be terrified about death. But if you engage in daily dying, so to say, in daily prayer, you won't be afraid of death because you have embraced it so many times on so many levels. And, and you actually understand what's actual death. So you are not afraid about the false idea of death that some people may have. So anyhow, some thoughts that came to my mind regarding, in one sense, prayer being a conversation that you are willing to engage. If not, you will die. But also engaging in the conversation it's, in itself is a form of death. Of course, of death on one level and of beyond that of real aliveness, so to say, no? <clears throat> yeah, and, and just to be clear, like I don't mean by giving one example to say like prayer is like this. It's like being on the edge of death and darkness because it's the birds that are calling the sun in the morning. That's also prayer. And the mm -hmm. birds that are celebrating the sun at the end of the day, that's also prayer. There's different paths. Of yeah. There's really like, even I would say even coming with our like shopping list of, you know, ideas is just coming, <laughs> coming, anyone just coming, like Carolina said, just showing up. Mm -hmm. If you show up, it doesn't matter ideas, right or wrong. Baba Grahi Janadan, he takes the mood and, like, mm -hmm. you know, things will bear fruit. A person can chant like their mala, you know, their fixed number every day with no taste and no even uh, education about methodology or like how to orient their, you know, and orient within that practice and just, but just getting it done by brute force. And that could be not prayer. And that could also be prayer. That could also be like, this is what I have. You know, I don't have feelings right now. I don't have, uh, flexibility part. I don't have anything sweet to offer you. All I have is my time and energy. That's still also prayer, and it's a feeding. It's like water on the roots of a vine. You know, a fruit will bear eventually. Like there's no loss with God. There's no, you know, misspent energy. If we just show up, just do anything. You try your best to be genuine. You try your best to be, you know, on an internal quest when you're there, not be lazy and. Mm -hmm especially uncreative. I think that's a big problem. And, and, you know, having a good container of sadhana bhakti is like we can forget that creativity is so essential. A creative response internally is like remembering how to respond to whatever's coming up, the success or unsuccess in prayer. Like how do you navigate with it? Like a sailor knows how to catch the winds. If the wind is not directly pushing, you know, west to east when he wants to sail east, hmm. You know, he knows how to tack, how to move, you know. I think it's quite important to learn these arts. And they're learned, you know, we can have discussions with people who know.
know better than us about prayer. There's so many mystics who have tried their best to write their little manuals and give their insights. But the best way to learn is from grace by just showing up with whatever we have, whether it's a shopping list of like hopes or whether it's like an aspiration for an otherworldly identity and engagement, whatever it is, but showing up and exposing ourselves to the, uh, the work, the creative work that happens mm. inside, whatever the body's doing, including moving the mala, including moving the lips, including speaking, that's all the container for uh, the real thing is in, you know, in the heart. And a person doesn't mean to, to be in communion in the heart, doesn't mean all the senses have to stop. It's just like, where am I at? What am I able to do to be able to have some kind of communion? Do I need to dance and jump up and down to break out of the calcified shell of my ordinary mind? Do I need to like dance by myself for like an hour and a half? You know, this is not a specifically Gaudiya Vaishnava uh, discussion we're having. Just like, how do you get into the state of communion? That is what mm -hmm. we're about prayer. And I am just trying to say, yeah, don't forget creativity. To be yeah. creative and to not accept like water flows and when it hits <laughs> a stone, it finds a way around that stone. You know, it's not just like it's not happening. So the grace isn't there. It's like mm, mm. a more creative interpretation of what's happening and a more creative response to it. Yeah, don't give up that he's here. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. In the same way that we, in prayer, we should be careful not to over idealize God and who He is and how He should respond in relation to what you mentioned. I think it's good not to over idealize us, or not to over idealize our approach to Him. Is to be done in this particular way. This is the official formula, and fit in there somehow. But that reminds me of what we talk with Judge Jagannath in terms of crafting our own version of bhakti. Not like creating something to our own comfort, but just being creative, as you said, your your expression, creative response uh, in prayer. And prayer is all about, in one sense, uh, creativity, but creativity on the basis you mentioned also of full uh, honesty and authenticity in terms of whatever I am, that's what I can begin from. I mean, that's my my initial approach will be from even the most embarrassing chapter of my existence and, and, and prayer has a lot to do with that as well no? i mean but nonetheless we have to show up you know? like krishna says in the gita chaturvedavajantama whenever you are approach me if you try to surrender to me with desires for wealth for money you are afflicted i don't care but just show up basically and from that we can work together and we can reach to the highest zenith of that so i appreciate your point because here we are we also do not want to present some elitist notion of prayer so to say like this is prayer and this is the only perfect way to do it if you do not enter that elite so sorry for you brother <laughs> so yeah that's also i think that that principle is it causes some difficulty in the collective consciousness of the Gaudi Vaishnava community we hear about like this is bhajan and so two different things if i'm not don't have the adhikar if i don't have jatta ruchi bhakti yet and i hear about this type of smaran and things like that what two ways it can go is one is like i'll never be there in this life mm -hmm. i'm doing real budget i've never done anything or the other one is like what they call fomo the fear of missing out and then you like have to mm. find a way to like sneak it's, around and try it but it doesn't work you know it yeah, uh, sets yeah. you back more so yeah. this idea that direct you know what the soul wants even if you reduce it like yeah okay in the ultimate sense we want our eternal identity we want our nitya seva you know we want to go home back to god that didn't you know, be in the realm of transcendental love where we mm -hmm. most will be at home. But above all, just like today, what the soul wants is to feel God. 
to feel mm-hmm. you know because we're not really relating with other souls it's like body to body there's something malnourished in the soul without god without my relationship with god occurring today in a way that's like total systems self-evident you are with me i'm mm-hmm. with you or at least i'm brutally pining for you and that's a way of being with you also at least mm-hmm. i am consoled that i still have a beating heart for you mm-hmm. i'm can bitterly weep without you then i feel oh, yeah you know i'm still alive in here and yeah so it's like yeah, the prayer is we don't want to create a situation. It's it's kind of one of the things in the huge conversation. Like your book talks so many subjects that need to be addressed. And the, you know, again, and one thing is like how do we respond to that internal quitting? There's a quitting that happens unconsciously when people feel presented an ideal that seems impossible for them. Yeah, and inside it's like they maybe not consciously quit. So I'll keep doing my rounds. I'll keep doing things, but yeah. inside like a hope has been abandoned. It's yeah. too high. It's not happening for me. Look at me. Maybe my next life, something like that. Or the like more fearsome response is like to overcompensate and pretend. And, yeah. Know, that's what we call sahaja. But sahaja is not some evil thing. Sahaja is a desperate thing. Mm-hmm. And so this prayer, what's available to all living entities, if you have a human body and can and can show up to a, even a conversation about prayer and can feel a little tickle of like, yes, I would like to have a relationship with God, a living relationship with God. That's accessible and that's enough. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how far, you know, doesn't matter how far the final goal is. If today, like, give me yeah. my daily bread, like I need to eat today. Yeah. I need yeah. to be restored in the wholeness of myself as soul through this relationship. And that's accessible. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the swarup that it, God takes is darkness or dryness, but it's still God. Still, medicine still works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate the the point of the collective Gaudiya community and the importance to not further feed that with shame and guilt trips, so to say, or or or, or feelings of yeah. I, I do not. As you mentioned, one of them is like, okay, this real bhajan, and 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 you feel and and oh, casually, you are part of that group. <laughs> when you say, this is real bhajan, and I happen to belong to the real bhajan elite. So you develop a false sense of belonging and, and lots of arrogance and theological elitism and whatnot. But if not this idea of, okay, it's too much for me, so as you mentioned, I, I try to fit in instead of trying to belong. Uh, and hypocrisy is born there. I mean, I mean, we start to contradict the very principle of what we want because as the Bhagavatam say, Dharma Praito Kaita Bhotra. This tradition, this book and the tradition that revolves around the book is not about cheating in the name of Dharma. Dharma Praito Kaita means we reject cheating in the name of religion. But we can do, we are doing so much of that probably. <laughs> no, cheating in the name of religion doesn't only mean Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha, that's Kaita of Dharma, we are for Prem. No, you can say you are for Prem, but in the name of that type of Dharma, which is Prem Dharma, we can cheat so much ourselves and others by just continuing in the Vaishnava Sangha or in the Vaishnava Mandal for the wrong reasons. Mm. As you mentioned, internally, I don't feel connected. Internally, I don't feel I belong. Internally, I don't feel I'm participating. But somehow or other, I keep the external statu quo, the external dynamics for fear of being left out, for fear of not belonging, for so much fear in so many layers. Uh, and I think it's very healthy. I mean, we, we need lots of healing on the communal level in that connection, trying to rise above fear, 
trying to rise above like uh, hidden, so to say, paranoia and, and allowing ourselves to feel the connection with Bhagavan in the here and now in whatever form, as you mentioned, I can be in the worst possible chapter of my life, mm -hmm. but the, the reach of grace is precisely that. It can touch the most terrible chapter of my life. That, that's the very meaning of costless grace or, or the highest type of mercies, given the highest even to the lowest. So especially in my most embarrassing moments, that's what I, I'm invited to show up and, and grace will take care of me and and, and I know that's painful. I, I, I mentioned in my book that real conversion, sometimes it's described as, as a series of necessary humiliations to the false self. <laughs> so sometimes there is a lot of humiliation in the experience of prayer, but to the false self, not, not that others are humiliating us, but it's only, only humiliating for ourselves, embarrassing for ourselves to show up in such a condition, but, but at the same time, as humiliating as it may be to our false self, still unconditional love and grace is coming from the in connection to prayer. So I think it's also very important for us as Gaudiya Vaishnavs, for everyone actually, to remain aware of how God not only has unconditional love for us, but he is made of that. It's not that, okay, he has love for you. No, he is made of that. He's made of love, which is unconditional. If you say conditional love, you are immediately canceling the, no, the actual notion of love. So, and I think sometimes we forget that, not to abuse that, as you mentioned. Okay, I have a beating heart for you, my Lord. But also, I think it's comforting and gives lots of hope and relief. He or she has, they <laughs> have a beating heart for me. And again, I'm not saying that I, oh, they have a beating heart for me so I can relax and be lazy and exploit their beating heart. But that beginning, that kickstart from their side over me gives so much hope and relief for me to have my own beating heart as as embarrassing as I, it may be in my present moment, but to rest in that idea of I'm being sheltered and being carried by the unconditional love coming from, from above. And, and I will be moved by that and try to do something about it, try to reciprocate somehow or other. No? <clears throat> yes. If only... You know, sometimes it's, we can hear wonderful things about God, about Krishna. It's about what, sorry? About Krishna, about mm. God, mm. beautiful qualities and form and sweetness and nature and also so much unconditional love for me. And, you know, and at a certain point, it becomes like salt in a wound to hear these things because like, when will I know? When will that knowledge become vigyan? When will mm -hmm. you reveal that to me? Like, I hear, I hear from the saints and I'm doing this buddhi purvak, you know? This uphill struggle. This is the hard, hard struggle. Is the uh -huh. uphill struggle of Budi Purva, preaching to your mind, like psyching yourself up. Oh, I have to get up early again. I have to chant my rounds. Oh, I don't have any taste. And like, how to like pull the load of, uh, you know, unfulfilled hopes, you know, unproven uh, hypotheses of wonderful grace of God. And there's some sprinkles, you know, that again and again, something has to come to keep our engine turning. But this is a very difficult stage. You know, when we haven't realized the unconditional love of Krishna, that that mm -hmm. beautiful person and his beautiful prem dharma like pertains to me. You know, that we feel very far away from that. And to hear about it, this is this, you know, the jivanam at our quantum level. It, it burns, you know. Ah, I hear you're so wonderful. You're so sheltering. You're so 
if only, if only I could know that for myself. If only, if only. And I think that's like the genesis of a, now like when the plane gets to like cruising altitude, now it's on the real journey. You know, prayer, the lifetime, the living prayer, the lifestyle of prayer reaches its cruising altitude when the heart starts to really be seated with. Oh, if only I could know. If only I could know this person I'm hearing so much, but I'm not, not just like, oh, you know what they said in class today is that Krishna is so great like this and God is so wonderful. And it's like, Jai, I'm so inspired by that. It's like, we're still ascending. <laughs> the cruising altitude is like, alas, when will I encounter that substance and all of my hopes and dreams for someone worthy of my heart will be confirmed? When will I? You know? And then you have to deal with all the, the delay and does he not want me? And am I doing something wrong? And you know, the squirming of the what St. John calls the dark night of the soul. is when mm -hmm. everything you were doing before on that Kanishta ascent was working, and then it, it stops working. Mm -hmm. In between place. Right? Plateau, yeah. 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 Hmm. Alchemic crucible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is a price, of course, as you mentioned, for unconditional love. And there's, it is so easy. I mentioned my book, as you gave the example, oh, I learned this about Krishna, and I know this about Krishna, and we have so much information about Krishna, so much theological detail that is a great blessing, but also such a great danger because we so easily can fall into this comfort zone of, I know who Krishna is about, and I know, I mean, nobody knows as we know, so I have such a detailed idea, but still it's information in one level. I mean, if there is no transformation, I mean, one thing is information, I think is transformation, and, and we can, on that, on the basis of that information, without proper digestion, we can reach very, very strange places about who, who Krishna, with who, who we think Krishna is, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and we can even pray with that anti-sambanda, so to say, you know, like like mm -hmm. in a place that we, we we pray to a god that actually doesn't exist because it's the god of our imagination, of our projections even of our childhood trauma in some cases. <laughs> you, you quoted Teresa de Avila early, earlier today, and, and there's a nice quote that she mentioned that she says that the trouble most people have with prayer is that they pray as if God is absent. Interesting. Mm -hmm. They pray as if God is absent. Mm -hmm. Or they, in other words, they pray without a proper openness to all that God can be today in prayer. They already may have a preconceived notion also who he is. No? And, and, and as you mentioned in the beginning, maybe for us, God will be a theological concept, but not an actual person. <laughs> and, and of course, the idea of prayer is meeting the person behind the concept, so to say. No? We may receive the concept, the information, this is who Krishna is, this is who Radha is, this is who Mahaprabhu is, but actually we have to enter into relationship. We have to enter the space of where actual relationship happens, because if not, we, we may just hung on our concepts without risking into the realm of relationships. I, I remember this idea of, that someone say one, like, bad theology is like pornography, which is the imagination of a real relationship without the risk of one. Mm. No? <laughs> no, to, to have an idea of something at the distance, but without yeah. committing ourselves to a real relationship, without entering the risk space. No? And, and for me, prayer is a lot about that. No? We, we may feel the risk as you mentioned, to show up, to be naked, to be vulnerable, to be seen for what we are, so to say. And, and again, we are so generally so terrified. We, we love ourselves, so to say, so little. We consider ourselves so damned. 
and we we don't see, we are so little generous, so ungenerous. I don't know if that word exists, but we are so ungenerous with ourselves in terms of how God is looking to us. Not like Saint John of the Cross will say, "Try to love what God sees in you." He's seeing something in you which he finds lovable, which he finds worthy of his unconditional grace. Try to love that in yourself. That, that won't be some, a source of proud. That will be a source of deep, deep humility. But sometimes that's a high price to pay. You know? I mean, to receive unconditional love, we need to be extremely humble because we have to acknowledge I'm receiving something that no matter what I do, I will never deserve in one, in one sense. It's an undeserved gift, but I need it so much. <laughs> and it's so beautiful. And it's coming in such a generous way. But I have to be so humble to coexist with that gift that is totally undeservable, so to say. But understand from which place that's coming, such a generous place. Anyhow, for me, that has a lot to do to recognize. As you mentioned in your, in your Gaur Yuga, maybe you would like to elaborate on that, but I remember you mentioned there, about prayer in connection to three steps, recognition of God's position, recognition of, of our position, and recognition of the shared bond between the two of us. Mm -hmm. I, I find it very, very, very simple, but very important. Him, me, and us. Or as you mentioned, I think beloved, lover, and love. Mm -hmm. So an, an acknowledgement of, of, of those three crucial elements in the triangle so to say yeah i mean it's that what you're referring to is a an attempt to put language to the container yeah you know the structural what is the mystical structural container you know uh, the western mind i find were bereft of ancestral values and cosmovision and like a sense of underworld and having it so like what fits in a petri dish you know what i can see with the screen you know what my everything is two-dimensional there's no volume you know and ancestral cultures and sacred cultures that where the culture is it's natural for them like hinduism they have a popped out more you know three-dimensional a voluminous space in which life can happen it's not just practical mm. and, um, logical it's experiential and emotional and you know transcendental ultimately mm -hmm. so that's a sense of like how do we use words to recreate the volume the space in which prayer can happen in which individuation can happen because it can't happen pressed flat in a two-dimensional logos heavy world worldview and so this sense of like structure invisible <clears throat> structure is that there's an order of things and to approach god it's a premise it's a one system it's never to say this is how prayer is no one can an today with thousands of mouths cannot explain definitively know the final word on prayer so one way to say is that first the first step in approaching uh, is that one recognizes god's position which is like corresponds to shadanga sharnagati like you're the you're my maintainer you're my protector you're glorious it's not about me we don't start with like i'm so fallen i'm so weak please give me taste for chanting please make, make me like not hate my <laughs> dry sadan it's not about us at all it's first of all you're going to see the king you know an ordinary king in this world you would go first and like praise the king and blow a bugle or like bring a gift or something mm. so thanks and praise you know that's that's the first thing it's like to recognize god to like preach to your mind as Sarasvati Thakur would say to you know he would say you know preach to the walls but 
pronounce dukirtan of the glory of God, his qualities, even if it's just what I heard, like you told me, Padmanabhaswami told me that he has a beating heart for me. Oh Lord, I know you have a beating heart for me. The sadhus have told me you have so much love for me. It's, I don't see it. I don't feel it. But I speak the truth. I align myself with the living tradition that has spoken these things that I've heard. And I speak. I praise. I give thanks to him. Celebrating him. It's like celebrating God. You do it with Sankirtan or anyhow. Anyhow that the heart can really be invested. Step one of approaching intimate communion is, first of all, recognize him, his glory, his sweetness, his beauty. His, you know. And then afterwards, and where am I? You know, we're painting a picture. We're creating the space, the map, setting up the chess pieces where prayer can happen, where a relationship, where we can be part of reality. Because we live in a temporal, linear experience, we have to put elements one at a time. So we're bringing back to consciousness every time we pray, God first. He's great. No, she's great. <laughs> they are the best. Best news I ever heard is that you are barefoot and beautiful and in love with each other. But that's God. Best news I ever heard. I'm happy. Step one. And step two. But alas, now I have established you in the space. You know, if you do kirtan, the space changes. You know, if you really, really sincerely speak the truth or sing God's glory, you enter into a different state than you were in before. Now you're in a more sober, genuine reality more clear the dramas are not tickling and sparkling they're mm. forgotten they're quiet they're away and so in that space then it's like sober we come back alas there's you who are so wonderful and i am so dependent on you at the very least it doesn't have to be like i'm terrible but it's it's kind of like yang like a pendulum swinging between mm -hmm. yang and yin back and forth mm. versus like yang to god a whole god you know jai god jai krishna <laughs> And then back to yin, to make ourselves very receptive to that person. You know, you are glorious and you are shining like the sun. You're pouring like a rain cloud. And for me to catch it, I come to a yin position, which is I am dependent on you. I am failing in so many ways. You know, but the way that a person, like not denigrates, like puts themselves down after having praised God is different. Once you put yourself in the presence of God and the humility that comes, it's a rust, it's a taste, it's a living, healthy thing. It's not just the same as like uh, yeah, yeah. you are you are putting you put yourself in context basically in context yeah and it's a it's a living thing of the heart it's not the mind telling its story about how I'm a bad person it's the heart genuinely feeling wow compared to your glory now let me think about myself I would love to participate in that but I'm so small and I'm so far and I'm so riddled with holes and inconsistency I'm so mm -hmm. incoherent with you I'm not attuned to you in this moment. By your grace, you allow me to pray, so I'm celebrating you. But if I zoom out and look at the most of my life, it's not mostly like this moment of prayer. So I see my need, my yin position. So it swings. Second step is first establishing the greatness of Prabhu, then establishing the dependence of oneself. And when that's really ripe, you know, because these things like open, open, when this state of humility is really ripe, then, you know, there's an answer. Krishna is merciful. Love, grace is merciful. So if you're really, really negative, that's magnetic. In the words of Shri the negative position is magnetic. It draws the one who is by nature generous is drawn into the void of heartfelt necessity. So he will fill. Some answer will come. Some consolation will come. And then a kind of inspiration comes. Oh, I called out to you and you answered me. There is an us. And that's step three. Step one is you. Oh, step two is me. Alas. And step three is like, 
us, it swings back to Yang again. But there's us. You have accepted me. You have heard me. And this is like a basic setting up a platform upon which a person can really learn, as Sri Chakravarti Thakur says in his Madhuri Kadamini, in the Ruchi stage, Ruchi Devi will come and catch the hands of the sadhaka and teach him the dance of bhajan. Who is his, the guru? The taste. She mm-hmm. Taste Devi, <laughs> Ruchi Devi. The flavor of inspiration will come and teach the sadhaka how to go further. And to mm. like the circuit, you know, like electricity needs AC, DC, two currents have to connect and then the light can, energy can flow. So mm. it's like God, me, us. And when that us connects, some kind mm. of Maybe not Ruchi Bhakti yet, but some kind of Samdant will be there. From Samanda, we'll turn it on. And mm. then we can learn what is really bhajan, what is really prayer. We learn at that time once we have approached and connected and there's some communion going on. And I say anybody can learn that. We don't have to be mm-hmm. scared. It's like, oh, these mm-hmm. those families are doing something I will never do in a thousand mm-hmm. lives. We can pray and we can pray in the context of our chosen Ishtadev. And our lineage and our values as you know, bhaktas, we can all that context of prayer, the living path is open for anyone with a hmm. desire for it. Yeah, I appreciate what you mentioned about the <clears throat> yeah, the emphasis we are making on, on on this creation of the of the container as a, as the sambanda of prayer, so to say. As we speak about Sambanda Videya Prayojan, we can say, okay, there is a Sambanda to prayer. There is a, a certain things to be, have, be put in place for actual the, the actual experience of prayer to descend on us and the ultimate fruit of it to be tasted in divine dance, so to say. So I, I appreciate that because, of course, the ultimately prayer is not so much something we do. Again, as we already mentioned, sometimes we think, okay, I will pray now. No, So there was no preparation, no preliminary stuff, and, and we are thinking we are doing it. It's like more like a sometimes a meritocracy or some even moral worthiness contest. Now I'll do it and let's see who gets more grace and who, is, who has the greatest epiphany or whatever. <laughs> but actual prayer ultimately is, is a lifestyle. It's not something we do, but it's a lifestyle that pervades all our actions. But for that, the container has to be properly constructed first, this proper acknowledgement of to begin with who you are and who am I in connection to you and what's the shared bond. And then we can enter the dancing arena, so to say. <clears throat> but but it's, I, I consider that very important because, again, many times we think just, okay, prayers bandhanam and bandhanam is one of bhakti and I, will re- and I will recite some verse from scripture and I'm praying. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying that's, that's not it all. It's not that, okay, that's the only way you can pray. The other ways to pray, and you have to enter into that space and and to become prayer yourself. I like to make that play of words that I can do in English, not in Spanish. So I take advantage of, of the English language in this case. <laughs> when you can say, okay, someone who writes becomes a writer. Someone who constructs becomes a constructor. Someone who prays becomes a prayer, basically. <laughs> so we are to become that, that very thing. And, and I appreciated also the point of, of the, the second part of the process, so to say, after acknowledging God's existence and presence and have a realistic picture of who he, she, they, is, are <laughs> in terms of the generous nature, the, the protective, the, anyhow. Then coming to us and putting ourselves in context after first establish the, the presence of God 
and it will be not only context, but as you mentioned, contrast. Context, context and contrast. Okay, you are this, but I, as you say, a hole in his direction and a hole in my direction, as we, we mentioned before yeah. starting the podcast. A hole I'm closer to Putin than to anyone else. So a hole in another way. How can be praise? A hole can be lamentation. Uh, but, but I appreciated the point of, okay, if you lament a, 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 on yourself after having put God in the center and his merciful yes. nature, that lamentation not only is healthy, but it's necessary. Oh, it's baptismal. It's yeah. purifying and regenerating mm -hmm. it's life. It's like drinking straight from the cloud, you know. It's like life. Because totally. if you're that lamentation, if it's on a good foundation of recognizing God's centrality and not like still my ego is in the front and center. Mm -hmm. I'm so bad. I'm still in the center in God's throne. That's not healthy in any way. But if God has been established in the center, you know, and this is not like a stage of life. This is like every mm -hmm. coming to prayer. Yeah, yeah. Come back, reestablish the, you know, the, the Lord on his throne. And then this, when it ripens, there's what uh, Teresa calls the gift of tears. Mm -hmm. of this, the gift of tears is a great consolation. It washes the soul. You know, oh, it's the proof that I'm feeling. My Guru Maharaj used to say, when we pray, if our prayer is sincere, it should manifest in the form of tears. Mm -hmm. It should actually substantiate. It should actually like take manifest form, become a tangible thing. And you know, if we're very, very new, then we might think, oh my God, oh my God, I'm praying, oh my, I'm crying, oh my God, it's happening. And then it's like breaks. But, you know, with some time, a, de a devotee will be in that state crying for a long time before they even realize because it's not about the tears. That's just some distant side effect going on in the outside. While in the, as you said, contemplations in the temple, in the temple of the heart, the person is actually bathing, being refreshed. Ah, oh, oh, my God, I felt so far, you know. I remember every time I would go to prayer on a good day, it's like, Thank you that I'm here again, somehow against all odds with my mind that's so into thinking that getting my rounds done or giving a class or doing the podcast or writing my thing or all these external things. It's like that this has some substance and value, food for my soul, but it's all I'm starving meanwhile, waiting to get back home to you. And sometimes weeks and months can pass that I'm so busy, you know, doing pious things, doing spiritual things, talking about prayer. But weeks and months are passing that I have not come to that fountain and had a sit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so when I come back to prayer, it's like, against all odds, I was stuck out there. I couldn't find my way back. And against all odds, somehow by your grace, again, I'm at this fountain. And if, you know, the heart can melt even a little bit, that's such a consolation for the soul who's been wandering in a dryness of externalism. The soul who is she does not pertain to the external at all. She's embedded in witnessing a story. You know, she has to watch the story going on, but she's lamenting hmm. inside. None of this has anything to do with me, not even the preaching, not even the anything. None of this has to do with me. That's like him, that guy who I see in the mirror. He's hmm. got this modes of nature moving him or destiny is moving him. He's got all this business that he's about. He can't stop it. It's going on whether he chooses to or not. It's like the stars and whoever, hopefully God is pushing him. But me, what about me? <laughs> the soul is like, what about me? I need, you know, my own things to, my own food, my own life, and to drink from the fount, to baptize again in the weeping for God that all mm -hmm. I need to do. And all of that can, as it will be with time, can wash away. 
You know, it's like sannyasa every time you come to prayer. It's like, I leave the world behind. This is not me. It's not relevant to me. And then it's like a sacrifice, like, you know, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. You put on sannyasa again. You put on to go back to the world. Now I have a social duty. Hmm. Home and renounce. <clears throat> you know, I can't stay absorbed 24 hours a day. I can barely stay absorbed for a few minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Well, the rest of the day, let me be engaged in some kind of enthusiastic God-related welfare work, something auspicious, you know. Mm-hmm. Our real life is those that small little window. Me, the soul. Not that it means nothing, but the soul needs her own space also. Not to be entirely consumed and absorbed into the externalism. She's crying for her own private existence, independent from the external story of our bodily existence. And that you know, prayer is, that communion is where she's like, not only is she refreshed, but she's fed so she can grow like a fetus in the womb. There's, a, there's an identity in the dark womb of prayer. We don't see it right away, but there's a sense of I there. Mm-hmm. It's not this worldly identity. And the more that we can, you know, the baby in the womb is on a umbilicus of, and the mother's blood is coming and making the baby's body grow. It's just like, it's an umbilicus of tears or it's an umbilicus of grace, of communion, of exchange, some subtle other thing that when we're in that connection in <clears throat> we're growing slowly slowly and it's such a slow thing we're lucky if we can you know a baby in the womb takes months before they even feel themselves that they even exist you know mm-hmm. the body is there but they haven't developed the sense perception of themselves so we go to even, even yeah even when they are born they are not aware of their own existence basically on some level yet i will say <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're hoping for that kind of blindly. You know, there's a bad kind of blind faith. And then mm. there's the healthy blind faith of the baby in the womb, which is that I have an identity. I have a, I'm connected by umbilicus, by Sambanda with God. And that Swarup Shakti is coming. If I'm at all sincere, even 1% sincere, that's enough room. Grace will work mm. with that. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of room. If I'm preparing myself to be a little available, she'll work with that. And that energy is coming in and feeding an invisible growth of an identity. It's now hidden even from itself in the womb of mystery. But that hope and that faith, that's where the place of <clears throat> healthy mind feels. It's not natural for the baby to see themselves right away, but the baby still exists. Mm-hmm. It's gestating. And so we can yeah. put some shelter. Yeah, and I think it's important what you mentioned to, to also become aware of the gradual nature of, of that growing in the womb in the sense that sometimes we may get a little bit neurotic about trying to to ascertain where we are and how much we are growing and, and we are just over expecting our growth, so to say. We are expecting to become devotional superhero for the weekend till at the weekend we already have to be having this whatever experiences and comparing with other people's journey and all that type of stuff that makes us lose sight of the of the feeling that is coming by grace on a daily basis. <clears throat> and I also like the point of lamentation. I mean, as we were, as you began commenting, this type of lamentation, putting God first and then go into our own chamber of lamentation in, in a contextualized way is actually a crucial aspect of our stage as sadhakas. This is the crying, the corresponding crying, the corresponding set of tears <laughs> to our particular stage. I would say in every stage we are in the journey, there is a corresponding set of tears, so to say. Even if you are a Bada Jiva, (laughs) 
you will be crying for for some stuff. You'll be lamenting for some stuff. Then you become a sadaka. Okay, then you have this corresponding set of tears that correspond to your present stage. When you become a siddha, the tears will come differently, slightly different or slightly copiously and torrentially, but but it, I think it's, it's, it's healthy to identify each particular stage has a corresponding set of tears, and, and I have to to embrace those in, in a healthy way. And as you mentioned, this, the tears are not necessarily physical water, but it's more like inner liquidity, so to say, you know, inner healthy contextualized uh, lamentation. Sorry? My Guru Maharaj is saying if it's praying, it should manifest like as liquid physical tears. It should yeah, yeah that will, that will, but I was making the point just that sometimes if, if, if it doesn't manifest, doesn't mean that nothing is going inside. Maybe it's, it's right. boiling inside and eventually it will manifest, but but yeah, it all begins it all begins inside that eventually the by the watery byproduct will overflow, so to say. <laughs> yeah. What what do you think, Tamale, in connection to the topic? I, I would like to not, not to shift gears, but it's in connection to this, and I think it's an important a complementary approach to prayer. If you would like to share a few words in connection to the notion of what at least in Christianity they call intercessory prayer or or praying, sorry to to trigger, to send that to Deepana. <laughs> As I was thinking the same thing like 10 seconds before you said it. Oh, okay. Same page. Thanks. So, thank God. So, yeah, this is important thing of, because sometimes again, prayer, prayer can be underestimated, especially in, in certain groups where outreach is too, too emphasized and, and you have a few practitioners who are in their hermits, so to say, praying. And in my opinion, they are saving the world from their hermits. <laughs> but some people will think like they are doing nothing because it's not they're, they're, the, the products are not tangible. But you have this this few people that nobody will know ever <laughs> in their caves, in their hermits, and, and from those from that place, their prayers are really affecting the whole planet and, and beyond that even. You know, as they say, sound. Uh, circumambulates the whole planet Earth be before continuing its journey to other places. So you can imagine the sound pronounced invoked by these personalities, such such a deep experience. I remember once one devotee told me, the whole planet Earth remained on its orbit only because of the prayers of the saints. <laughs> it was it was a way to put it. No? In, in other words, there is so much sinful baggage that if we will not be for the prayers of the saint, Bhumi Devi will just like, Baraha Devi will, come, will have to come again and pick her up again. But because of the prayers of the saints, there is so much uh, hope, so to say. So a few words, if you like to share in connection, not only to, to the glory of those who are exclusively dedicated to praying, but to this particular point of praying for others and, 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 and having, as a it, it comes to mind one quote by my dear Thomas Merton. He once will say, I can maintain myself in my spiritual life because of the prayers of my brothers and sisters. So th that, that came from a very deep, genuine place of humility. If I'm still here with you, it's because of the prayers of so many of you. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's the secret um, <clears throat> self-interest of preaching work, of going, traveling around and making friends and really squeezing your heart to try to help others mm -hmm. and winning their confidence. If you can really genuinely win the confidence of others by serving them, then they will pray for you. <laughs> and that's like wind in your sails. So like that's the real self-interest. You know, if you can win 
the love and uh, gratitude of devotees by serving them, then they remember you. Mm-hmm. No joke, you know. Then, then so many things are going on because of that. So many things are possible. But yeah, intercessory prayer of the saints is keeping the world on its axis. Yeah, it's like Shiva Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He would say that the the Gaudiya and the whole mission of Mahaprabhu is expanding because of what? The epicenter of power by which it's expanding is the Nam Bhajan of Srila Gorkashodas Baba hidden in the toilet. You know, hiding in the public retreat. The lady came to clean afterwards. I heard this story. She came to clean after he finally left and went somewhere else, another tree under a boat somewhere. And she said even the, the bricks in the latrine were still chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna. There, he had you know, melted the heart of the minerals that make up the bricks. And, um, you know, Srila Saraswati Thakur said that the whole mission was expanding because of him, because of that. Now, is that just like him glorifying his Gurudev and like shifting the credit to his Gurudev? Or is he giving us a mystical insight to reality? Yeah. I, I you know, I, there's, a, I think, a healthy place for not speculation, making stuff up, but daydreaming about possibilities. Like, what if you could take birth in your next life and the pastimes of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, you know, roaming in Godruman and come to his house at Swananda Sukha the Kunj there. He's worshipping his Gorga Dadhar and he's, you know, awake by lamplight in the night writing and doing bhajan and, and sometimes stumbling in from the jungle, one wild, amazing transcendental saint, Srila Gorga Baba will come. And these two who look so different, one utterly renounced of the world, extremely renounced, and the other one utterly invested and involved in the world, extremely involved. And they're like best friends having a conversation about, of course, their internal things, it must be. And also, according to Saraswati Thakur, Gorkishoda's Baba's prayer life, his internal life practice, is expanding the welfare of the world, giving the whole world a chance to connect with this parampara. It's like making it manifest like a magical spell that spreads over the world. Mm-hmm. And Baba Thakur on the other side is you know, practically strategizing. He's writing the books. He's creating the infrastructure. He's seeing the prophecies about how it will expand and what is the model of Namahata. And these two are like best friends and they're like a polarity, extreme renunciation and extreme investment. And they're both doing intercessory work. Mm. One of them by his like forgetting the world. Gorkishodas Baba, I don't believe, I have no idea, but I don't believe he's in there chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna and thinking about the world. I think when he closes the door of that latrine, the whole world is gone for him. And it's just, he's calling out for that, you know, ultimate, the core of reality. He's feeding the center of life. You know, you put the water at the root of the tree and it goes everywhere. From another angle. And they make this complementarity. And I thought, what if you could take birth in their pastimes and witness them, their two modes of intercession one that's totally practical strategic like a general leading uh seven generations ahead uh mastermind plan and the other one who's like wholehearted contribution to the world is to forget the world and be so absorbed that he's like you know he's gorkishore das babaji maharaj Uh he's a great king and the archetype of the king like in archetypal psychology is the king is the one who embodies like represents God on earth. He represents the verticality. He's like brings the blessing way in all cultures of ancient times, whether it's Africa or Vedic or anywhere, the chief of you know any tribe, you know, not any tribe, but uh, 
developed people, spiritually developed people, uh, the king or the chief is like, their integrity affects the whole society, right? And their alignment is a blessing for everyone. So like you said, like a person who prays becomes a prayer. That's mm -hmm. the idea of like a sannyasi with their, you know, danda, this antenna, this maharaj is the blessing way personified. They are living this chataka life, crying so much for the rain cloud in their inside heart. But where they go, they bring the rain. Hmm. You know, they bring opportunity to others. And so Gorkashor Das Baba, by, just by bhajan, is showing like just by bhajan, you can have an impact on the world. Don't think it has to be all, don't be monopolized and don't be colonized by the Western mentality that it's all about external proof. We give your whole heart to feed the center, and that does feed all living beings. That does contribute. So a person has to find their place in the symbiosis of life, your swadharma. Where do I fit? Where do I plug in just right? That's also individuation. It's also radical personalism. What kind of sadhaka am I? What is my sadhaka swarup, my true form as a practitioner? And then what type of intercession is natural for me? Is it going to be intercession like Thomas Merton? He's in, he's in the forest, but he's making a stand there. He's not hiding from the world. He's on the front lines of the global need, of humanity's need. But physically, it looks the other way. It's Hayoka. It's contrary. Hmm. So it's but a conscious person, especially someone downstream of Thakur Bhakti Vinod and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Acharyas, this lineage we are inheriting a genetic, like spiritual genetic propensity to intercede mm -hmm. on to the need of the world. So someone may do that by just doing bhajan, but their heart has to be big, you know, and that bhajan should be shared. You know, I am a pujari. I take care of my tapur. And every morning I go out in the starlight and I pick flowers. And when I pick a flower, I talk to the trees, you know, I sing for them some stava stuti, something like that. And when I take their flower, I thank them, especially if they're giving flowers that have been out of season for two months. And I'm like, this is, you're being extra generous for my topology. And I'm sure to tell them, this is your offering, not mine. I'm just a priest. Mm -hmm. I just make, I'm a matchmaker. You have produced this beautiful, fragrant gardenia. I can't make that. The most wonderful thing I could offer my topology is a pure white, fragrant flower. And I can't make a single one but you're making beautiful ones. So there's no offering without you, and but you can't offer it without me. So there's a symbiosis, but I'm sure like this is yours, you know? And um, there's a, a, a mood like that. It's important for us downstream of such great broad-minded acharyas, what to speak of, Mahavadanyaya Shugoda Sundar Mahaprabhu, he's like come to taste Aldarya Ras. He's come to relish, to become you know, intoxicated on it overabundance of generosity. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about intercession, I think it's really at the heart of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but especially Gaudiya, Rupanuga, Bhaktivinodhara. Mm. It's so fundamental. And I think it's even maybe uh, part of the fine print of how our self-realization, how will it occur, how this inheritance of our initiation in this line, how will it successfully occur? It's like, are we tuning to their mood not just like Radhe Radhe, but what is Radha Dasyam here and now in this world? What are Radhika's interests now in this world? Mm. Am I giving my life for Tadatmiya with that? Am I carving out my self-interest and comfort and convenience to make absolute magnetic negative room for her interests? 
So my Guru Parampara that carries, it's her interest. Even Goranga Mahaprabhu is carrying in his heart her interests. Love herself has interests. And, you know, intercession is part of that. You know, there would be no Goranga Mahaprabhu. There would be no, it's not just that Krishna's, Krishna's so wonderful, of course. It's not just that he's trying to repay a debt and that therefore he's canvassing in this world to bring people to Radhika. It's not just that. It's her nature in him that's so generous. Mm-hmm. So it's part of, part of it, intercession. So if we think like a triangle, this is something I've been thinking about in the last days. And at the top, the point, of, it's not my budget. What budget am I doing? I see it's not working like that. Takaji is like holding it back. Sometimes they gave me a little tickle of what my budget might be like, but then they're like, that's not really the point. You know, water needs to flow around this and find a, another channel. And that, I think a greater channel is like, what is Goranga's budget? What is this Gopi Gita? What is the separation move? Because that's our context. We're far. So separation is what's relevant to our path. Yeah. Showing. That's the path of Bhakti Yoga. It's Viraha. That's what it is. It's the purifying fire and water that will make us enlightened. There's no other way. And so uh, the top is, what is real viracha? Mm-hmm. What is singing Gopi Gita? But singing for who? For Mahaprabhu. Like King Parthapurudra. Parthapurudra. His heart. And then from him comes a concern. Like when we chant our Gayatri mantras, it's not like uh, me, Maha, Prachadaya. It's Naha, us. Inspire us. Mm-hmm. His heart is very big for all of us. For all jivas and especially for those who are trying to take shelter of him, we are his. So praying for us is part mm-hmm. of the intercession. And then on the other side, understanding I don't have the my prayer is what? I'm not Gorkashodas Baba. I'm not a saint. The saints' prayers can change the whole world. And my prayer might be something, just like my preaching might be something, but mm-hmm. nobody gets darshan of Krishna for my Harikata because I haven't had that darshan, so I can't transmit it. It's not actually Harikata I'm speaking. I'm speaking words of encouragement when I can talk. <laughs> No, I'm trying to keep the, you know, come on, come on, let's keep going. No, don't. Oh. <laughs> I'll leave the boat. Like the salmon swimming upstream. If you stop swimming, you get washed back down. Dude, come on, let's keep going. We're almost there. Mm. So, you know, we're not that saints. We're not. But what is our intercession? What is our place in the symbiosis of the Guru Prampa's plan? And in the cosmos, what is our place at service to the flowering trees and every living being? How do we be the matchmaker? How do we fulfill a role without being in a delusion of grandeur that I'm something I'm not, but not also selling short of the potential of a human being initiated into the line that goes straight back to Parashakti? That's not a small thing. So I'm not a saint. I'm not Gorgeshwara's Baba. We can think like that because we're not. Mm-hmm. But what is, this is a question that maybe to resolve in a few minutes of our podcast, but an ongoing part of living prayer, a lifestyle of prayer. What is... Godia intercession that is completely consistent with the aspiration for Rag Bhajan and not like forgetting myself for the world in a false martyrdom where I sell my Bhajan to just like supposedly give compassion, but compassion is a byproduct of devotion. Mm-hmm. If my devotion is not first and foremost and increasing, my compassion is not really potent. People might be convinced by my like astrological mercury and I'm articulate or something. You know, I might be charming or I might not be charming. But I might, some people will be convinced. Some people whose mind and faith is softer than mine will be, oh, wow, it sounds right what he's saying. You know, but to really have an impact, to really pass a substance of contribution, to pollinate someone's 
participate in the life cycle of pollinating another person's heart. Hmm. I should be rolling in that flower where the pollen is to, to my level, not pretending out of FOMO, fear of missing out. I should be a saint. I should. I'm also not selling short that, well, I'm nothing. Hey, wait, you are not nothing. You're an inheritor of great responsibility. Uh -huh. You're an inheritor of great um, opportunity, even in this lifetime to participate at the, like, at the end of the world when everything is going so chaos. It's just a field of like joyous opportunity. You know, it's a joyous time to be alive. It's such a dramatic time to like pull out all the stops and give up your small-minded hopes and cast yourself 100% into the life of intercession. Because finally interceding on one hand for the world and for the Gaudiya community, that's just training wheels practicing to intercede for someone who when she feels separation is eclipses the suffering of all living beings and who's mm -hmm. more worthy of our compassion and more needing of it than any world and any Brahmanda, than millions of Brahmandas. <laughs> We're training in this world radical personalism. I love it. in your book, it's like radical, you know, like the root. What is the root? Radical means to the root, but what is the root? Mm -hmm. The core. It's all yeah. for one thing. It's all mm -hmm. for one person. It's all training for her, and intercession is totally relevant. She's going this way to have separation, and you have to intercede with some, when that day comes, some prashadi garland of Krishna that smells like him to bring her some intercession to step in to a direction to someone else's process that's going excessively in suffering and to bring it back to consolation that is absolutely necessary whether that's for the friends one-to-one -one in our local community or whether that's speaking a broader conversation but consolation is like urgently mm -hmm. yeah yeah this last month that i've been trying to share some of these thoughts which of course are not mine and just like the the urgency of the times that is propelling you, me, and others to feel some urgency to make sense of what's going on and what may be required. Some of the words that I mostly heard coming from those who were open to receive them were like relief, relief and hope mostly. You no, know? and there is so much need for that. Again, you mentioned consolation; it's another word. So for me, it was so so imp so intense to to perceive those two words coming in such a cohesive way from so many people, relief and hope. Like the whole collective of the Gaudiya community were, was, was like shouting in tears with the chest open, like relief, hope, relief, hope. So I can really identify what you mentioned regarding uh, intercessory prayer in terms of, for, for the community, Gaudiya intercessory prayer. And, and, and that has so many levels, as you mentioned, and that's expressing our particular situation in attending whatever is required whatever form of consolation is <clears throat> is required in, in in the collective of the community here but as you mentioned that escalates up to the ultimate zenith of transcendence where as i like to say i mean on in eternity you will have you will have to save the life of sri radha on the daily basis because she's about to die many times per day in separation of her prananath and our service will be to intercede, so to say, and ser save their, her life on a daily basis. We are nothing in one sense, but at the same time, the grace of grace is such that we are invited to such a level of commitment and responsibility. So better we prepare for that. That's my point, no? how, how much we are really invested into proper uh, empathy and proper uh, yeah, intercession, proper 
I mean, I, I love the, the example you gave of Bhaktin Otakur and, and, and Sri Gorkishore Das Babaji. Not only, of course, to remind us of the wealth that, that is coming from the two of them and how that has crafted, so to say, the DNA of our lineage, but also about the importance of find your own way of, of engaging in, in the same work, so to say. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, it's not so much, let's copy Thakur Bhakti now, let's copy Gorkishore, let's Prachar, Achar, Bhajananandi, Goshtiana, find your own place in the intercessory uh, arena, so to say. And, and I appreciate that you quoted Thomas Merton again because he was an interesting person. He was a hermit, but from his her hermitage, he was writing and he was aware of what's going on in the world at large. And he will write with so much ambition and accuracy about how to address the, the problems of the world while he being distant from them physically. But that distance provided him the proper perspective to understand what was actually happening. And sometimes I like to, to describe detachment as, as that. Some, we, we conceive detachment as sometimes indifference, but actually detachment is it's like if I have my I have my hand on my eye, it's so close that I cannot see it for what it is. So I need some detachment. I need to put my hand there, distance. Not to dismiss the hand and to be indifferent to her, but to just see the hand for what it is. So sometimes, yes, yeah, some people will locate themselves at some distance of situations, not to escape from them, but to actually understand them and, and, and engage in intercessory prayer in one way or another. So I, I appreciate the the Thomas Merton example, and especially the emphasis on on individuation uh, and, and of being our and discovering our own, as you mentioned, sadaka rupa, as we have our siddha rupa. I appreciate the emphasis on sadaka rupa because sometimes we we kind of we do not think too much about it. We made that template a little generic. Uh, I was talking the other day, even with I think with Nam Ras, I don't remember with whom I was talking, but. Even if we are on a very generous day, some devotees may think, okay, devotees who are, I was talking more from my own perspective as a sannyasi. Some people may say, okay, devotees who are grihastas, okay, you, you can think of many devotees doing different things at grihasta, but many times you think sannyasi and journalists, like, this is sannyas. This is what you can do as a sannyasi, and there's very limited uh, notion of what's expected from that person. In general, I'm not saying always. Uh, and, and there are so many ways to be a sannyasi. There are so many ways to be a there are so many ways to be an individual a human being. I mean, in one sense, there are as many ways as there are individuals, basically. <laughs> and, and, and we need to, to individuate ourselves in that connection. But I, yeah, I wanted to bring that topic to the table probably where almost in, in some minutes reaches the conclusion of our conversation. But I felt so important the need for, not only for each other as individuals to be as you mentioned, some other well wishes praying for us, not as an excuse to do our own prayer experience, but we need that. Uh, but also having people praying for the present condition of one's own community, that's like it's such a crucial element. Even nobody knows about that. Nobody knows them. Nobody knows what they are doing. Nobody knows what they are creating, what they are sustaining. Uh, but that's so glorious. I mean, that's it. The unique humility of, of the Vaishnav. Well, like I heard once Radhanath Swami saying, like the Vaishnav is like salt, because salt gives the actual flavor to everything, but nobody will praise the salt in the during a meal. <laughs> nobody will say, Oh, this salt was so unique. Everyone will praise the other spices or other stuff, but nobody will praise the salt. But if there's no salt, everyone will complain. <laughs> so I like that one. No Vaishnavs are like salt making the most 
crucial contribution from the most unassumed, unassertive place, so to say. Hmm. There's well, one. That's a call to be super assuming. Sometimes you have to assume. Yeah, 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 yeah. But again, as you mentioned, if you do that, that will be totally in, in because you were called to do that. No, like honoring, honoring the call, so to say. Yes, that's the point of the sadhaka swarup. Swarup, your own form of being a sadhaka. It's like people are frustrated, you know, after many years of I haven't got my siddha swarup. I don't understand, you know, feeling some downcast and restless. And, you know, I was hearing yesterday about Ayendra Prabhu in, in Vrindavan. He was chanting two lakhs a day and doing four hours of puja and sankirtan all night, every night. And, you know, unlimited austerities. And like after 40 years or more, he was like, frustrated he still hadn't got his swarup so we can take our pulse you know have i been living in vrindavan doing two lakhs of harinam a day and serving two thousand shalagam like he, he was invested you know he really and it wasn't until he was like alas alas i haven't got but it wasn't just like woe is me oh krishna be merciful and reveal the like topmost secret thing to me it's like on a platform of total investment in his way mm -hmm. sadaka swarup is sadaka it's like if we want to have a the prospect of a Siddha Rupa, Siddha Swarup, an eternal identity, well, we should at least practice here, you know, like, have you got the training wheels? Have you got the cup? Our Sadaka Swarup is like, this is really basic. This is like kindergarten. Individuate here as a Sadaka, you know, do your own, find your own form, your, cure the impersonalism in your heart that makes you a follower or a needlessly reactionary. Some people drop out also out of impersonalism. They don't have enough identity of identifying with the lineage with the clan with the Gaudiya clan like, eh, I didn't feel it and then people are like oh, we have to so fanatical either way but have we done the work if we have I'm not telling anybody they should want their swarup want it or don't want it their siddha your eternal identity it's up to you if you want to stand samsara forever if you don't want to know what it is to love God face to face mm -hmm. that's a personal choice but someone who does want that well we can start the relevant work is in our hand what is my sadhaka swarup I should find out I should strive to come to the Madhyam stage of sobriety. So I even have the, like, the clarified faculties to think properly about myself without excessive projection and reactivity. And then analyze myself and find out how do I fit? What is the place that I can fit? Like Lakshman draws his little circle around Sita. And he says, you stand here and you'll be completely protected. So whether it's like a big world acharya or to be hidden in your hermitage, what's this circle that Sri Guru gives you in the web of life what is your place? And stay inside that. Accept to be leashed by your master like a dog tied to a tree. This is my orbit. This is my field. This mm -hmm. is my business. Outside of that's not my business. I might see things outside, but I don't go outside and start getting in conversations or activities that are not what Sri Guru gave me, what Grace showed me. You know, what is that? Guru Rekha, that Mariada, the limitations in which um, I individuate as a sadhaka. Mm -hmm. And that's like synonymous. Who is... Who am I as an individual devotee in this world? That's synonymous with what is the defining limits of where my activity belongs. If I can define like, what is the area that I'm responsible for? Am I a toilet cleaner? Am I changing the lights? Am I the gardener? You know, what is my role? Not just in the temple community. What is my role in the global community? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be no matter what it is, you know, it's small compared to our real acharyas because we're not like that. We're just, you know, people, jivas can become empowered. You know, we can be inspired in agents, but we can still fall down. We're not realized. So we stay safe, like Sita would stay safe. She mm -hmm. wouldn't 
pulled away by the ten-headed false ego, if she would stay inside there. And so we, that's sadaka swarup is synonymous with finding out where do I fit, and mm-hmm. let me just do that. Let me accept the sacrifice of freedom to think anything I want, do anything I want, go anywhere I want, get involved in anything I want, have any kind of conversation about present politics and ideologies and every other thing. What's my business? If I stay with that business, what God gave me, what Guru gave me through inspiration or through direct order, I will come in Madhyam, I will come, I will individuate. And then there'll be some platform for that Siddha Swarupa to be possible. You know, there's a, a, a groundwork of personalism. Mm-hmm. Personalism of I don't know who I am and I don't care, I'll just follow someone else or follow my reactions. That's sheer impersonalism. Yeah. You have yeah. to cure that if there's any hope to be able to attract and correspond to the Swarup Shakti. Mm-hmm. That would manifest an eternal identity made of consistent uh, personalism. Yeah, I think one of the main homeworks many of us have to do, at least myself, including the list, is to to acknowledge that so many other layers of impersonalism. We may be still indulging it because, again, we have such a very crude external idea of what does it mean to be impersonal. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> as you were describing, so many ways we continued being impersonal, and, and therefore we are not able to fully invest ourselves in what I like to call radical personalism. And I appreciate the point of, yeah, identifying the particular circle of protection, circle of engagement, circle of individuation, and limit, quote-unquote, yourself to that. But by properly limiting, you're embracing the limits, so much unlimitedness will come. Because sometimes, yeah, people say, no, but rules are suffocating and, and, and they have all of the rules have a place, no limits have a place. I mean that, that can facilitate, not necessarily suffocate. So they're like like a game. I, I like like to give that example. If you're about to play chess or whatever, and I do not follow the rules, I do not move inside the prescribed circle of the game and I start to move the pieces I like, there's no fun. There's no game. You will say, what are you doing, Maras? This nonsense. This, we cannot do anything with that. So if I limit myself to the to the rules of the game, the game can happen. And of course, the ultimate reality is game, is place, is non-dual game, lay, place, Lila. <laughs> and Lila has its rules, so to say. Of course, we are not immersed in that, but if we want to approach that reality, we are somehow to, to reflect those same patterns here, accepting certain parameters, perimeters, <laughs> and, and, and honor them according to revelation and and knowing what to do with that, it, it re- always reminds me, Sila Siddhar Maharaj saying, Krishna has given you everything you want on a golden plate. And the only thing you have to, to do is to extend the hand and receive the gift. Which, of course, sounds simple, simplistic, but what does it mean to extend the hand and receive the gift? Again, that's your gift. That's the particular grace that is coming on a golden plate to you. And how do you embrace that in an individuated form? That's a big thing. It's not just... Okay, give me the gift. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. but, but at the end of the day, it's like that, no? And some sacrifice is necessary. Sacrifice of freedom by defining mm-hmm. oneself yeah. and sacrifice of like time and energy. Otherwise, like someone who doesn't accept uh, a lifestyle of sacrifice, a lifestyle of discipline and mm-hmm. a container, a fixed mm-hmm. authoritative container, you know, something tried and true passed down. They have no right even to think about, talk about Raghunanda Bhakti. It's like, I want that fine, fine, super fine wine that's been vintage forever, but I don't need a cup. Just pour it in. I have, here's my shoe. I'll give it to me in my shoe. Mm. You know, the Prayojanacharya, 
of Rag Bhakti, Srila Raghunath Das Goswami, his discipline, his rules and regulations were like a line in stone, you know, and his limitation was like live and die on the banks of Radha Kund. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, it's one example. This person who's yeah. the charya of absolute unlimited freedom, what is it when the heart fully blossoms and all of that identity and engagement with eternity, with Leela, starts pouring out? What's the context for that wine, that pure rag to happen is a container of a lifestyle of sacrifice, of sacrifice. There's no comfort and convenience is not yeah. consistent with that, yeah. absolute freedom. And just in case the first, very first instruction that Mahaprabhu gave Sri Raghunath Das Goswami, he asked was Gramya Gatana Asunebe Gramya Bhartana Just in case, if you want to follow those footsteps, first don't be a gossiper. <laughs> Sorry, it sounds basic, but it's funny because in three verses he goes from don't be a gossiper to Braja Radha Krishna Seva Manasa Kariva. Serve divine couple in, mentally, but first of all, be sure, be, be sure you are not gossiping in any of the many forms that can happen, which are a lot <laughs> so but i appreciate the point of, of yeah of taking care of the container because what is to be poured in the container is so sublime so it's not about just bringing as you mentioned your shoe to your shoe to 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 receive such a substance so i i put in my book the more sublime the i remember the more sublime the con the, the gift the more the more healthy the container has to be also uh, there is a correspondence there. No, I mean, we, we need a con- there is according to the the greatness, the depth, the breadth of the gift. Containing has to be prepared to receive such a a powerful substance. You cannot just bring any half baked container to receive the most powerful descending avaroha hmm? panta, so to say. No? So anyhow, dear Tamal, we have a few minutes just left. So I don't know if you would like to just share some. Some wrap up with some thoughts, something you may like to share as a concluding word, something that you missed and you you wanted to share, but the time didn't happen. Whatever, whatever has to flow over there. Oh gosh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to wrap up. It can't be. It's I don't, I don't know, know either. We are I'm, we are yeah I'm, we are a problem to each other in that sense. <laughs> yeah, I've just been catching you know holding on to the conversation all the way through. It's been so refreshing and brisk that. I don't know what, I didn't have room for a thought that was unfinished. <laughs> the conversation is certainly unfinished, but yeah, I don't know right now what else to say. I'm super that's grateful. That's perfect. That's, I, appreciate, I appreciate the I don't know. I think that we should be more willing and ready to sometimes reply with I don't know. Sometimes we are a little bit too concerned about having some, some answer to every question or the perfect answer to every question. And sometimes the best thing you can say is I don't know, or just silence to honor what has happened. So I appreciate that. One last comment I share here from Bhakti Ras and this connection, she's saying, mm-hmm. I see our brothers and sisters who are our well-wishers are the hearts in the night that our bad journey resounds off, off. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Maybe Bhakti Rasa say what, what needed to be said to conclude. <laughs> our no, it's, it's so important. You know, I don't want to get into any critique of like guru system these days, but there's issues, you know, this collective uh-huh. psyche has, you know, been through a lot and there's a lot of things that are unclear and are not natural to just take the same way it was natural when someone like Sri Prabhupada, you know, self-effulgent Acharya is here. There are different complex things to work through. And in the meantime, the hearts of our brothers and sisters, those who we find on the journey, close, you know, Swapaksha, inner circle. Mahaprabhu had three and a half, you know, out of millions of people that had prema for him, that loved him. There were three and a half with whom he was really able to speak transparently. 
and that, you know, uh, sangha is a mouthpiece of Sri Guru. You know? It's in mm-hmm. the absence of the self, it falls in Uttam, Adhikari, Rasik, Vaishnav. If we can find other like-minded people who would hold our hands and go into the Yamuna together, you know, a sense of like the David Grace brought us together, mm-hmm. brought us together to be a shelter to each other. That I believe is actually the revolution for the mission. We've done so much institutionalism and so much propagation and evangelism and like big, big, big trying to get the word out in different ways. And I feel like that will keep going and let them who do it, do it. And I feel like to balance things, there's a need for some quiet, homegrown response, a very feminine way, a maternal way of close groups, Swapaksha, who come together. And actually by turning the conversation and by genuinely praying together, by genuinely chanting together, finding out more and more what is living prayer, finding out every day, you know, with a substantive, my experience with that work, with finding some trusted friends and day by day, I have some friends come stay in the ashram here and we just day by day meet and pray together and share together and, you know, what's going on in our life and what verses are inspiring us, the whole spectrum of human from top to underworld bottom. Mm. And it's just like, we feel guided, you know, we feel sheltered, we feel... Not to say that we don't need elders and higher Vaishnavas, but if it's complex, it's not natural, it's not that path is not open right now, then as Bhakti Rasa Devi is saying, like, we can hear, we can, the bat, you know, is hearing the echo back. And so someone's sharing and someone's listening, and that conversation is a conversation with the mystery. Somehow God starts to speak. Like we had a lot of kind of Christian mystics references today but the bible jesus says where two or three gather in my name I'm i would think i would think about that one yeah <laughs> something happens in real sangha and yeah. whether it's 200 or two yeah you're with the right people it's really like a space of grace opens a space of possibility opens and there we can learn together day by day that which even ananta dave cannot finish describing that path of living prayer of communion with god of becoming more ourself in front of each other and sharing that real self, that thing unfolds indefinitely until we are with our friends in a different mandali, in another world, and it will uh-huh. indefinitely expand. But we start to match now with that world locally, if we translate to the local level. Who are my friends? Hmm. Who is my Seva mandali with whom I can, you know, sing the glories of God together in a way that they understand what I mean personally. I hesitate sometimes to come on the podcast and public things because if I don't know everyone who's speaking, I don't know if they get my way of talking. My friends know exactly what I mean because we know each other and it's like the spoken word is actually a very small percentage of the transmission, Mm -hmm. you know, but when it's our culture is so reduced to logos, to word and what they said and where's the verse for that, Mm. that, you know, unless you're living a really intimate confidential where there's confidence relationship uh-huh. there's room for misunderstanding and argumentation and useless waste of time but where there's friends there's like a quasi telepathic almost you just understand and the word is just like the crest of the wave of a sea of understanding that you're sharing together yeah 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 so let's pray that those who are listening to us may understand this point and get the tip of the iceberg that we're sharing today and see beyond the tip and understand how the actual foundation for words is this Swajatiya Prasanga that Amal is talking about and praying to be considered among one of those two, three friends, intimate friends that I can be in connection with you, my dear friend, and hopefully I may be 
which is not cheap, of course, as I understand it, any any deep relationship, any deep friendship needs to be put to fire and boiled and, and worked on for a long time. And time alchemy, as I think you mentioned in our Guru Purnima lecture. So I, I honor that time alchemy and, and, and let's pray for each of us, not only the two of us, but to find the shelter of those few, one, two, three, uh, <clears throat> that can const constitute this this actual mandali, this actual circle of friendship that will carry us to our highest uh, necessity. That's my intercession. If we're talking about intercessory prayer, yeah. that's what I pray for the Gaudiya yeah. community, for Gaudiya individuals, sincere people yeah. in this movement. Find your people, your few people, and cross the threshold of fear and start to really pray together. Pray in your own language. Mm -hmm. together, chant Japa together. Start mm -hmm. to share a process. Go hand in hand towards Madhyam. Create, help each other. Checks and balances to find that platform of a consistent lifestyle that can be a genuine platform for higher power to descend and make everything possible. But that's my prayer for everyone in this movement. You know, let the books be distributed, let the temples be built. It's fine, but please also, in the background, organically, quietly, in the starlight, let individuals find each other who pertain to each other and learn together. Let Sri Guru manifest also there, not in place of Acharyas, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but if it's not immediately available, we shouldn't be alone. We shouldn't feel that we're wandering alone. We should be able to walk alone. You know, we should be able to pray on our own. We should be able to stand on our own feet. It's not codependent Sangha, where we don't have anything without each other, but those interdependent, sovereign interdependent devotees who have their own vertical connection with God and just like to be together because the flavor of their Collaboration expands. Mm -hmm. Kirtan Ras is like appreciating each other's taste and relationship with God. That's my most urgent prayer for this movement. The only thing I see that's really urgent medicine and useful, small groups of people coming together and through friendship, going deeper, much, much, much deeper. Thank you, dear Tamal, for bringing your spice to the table. That's completely adding to the, to the full meal, to the supper. I really appreciate your contribution and those who would like to continue appreciating Tamal's contribution again I'm sharing his website where you can find many audios from him soundcloud.com slash Tamal without A at the end Krishna K-R-S-N-A so again thank you so much Tamal Krishna Prabhu and we will see each other next not this coming Saturday but the other Saturday which will be August 5th at 10 a.m. EDT time with our next episode. We will be having a whole month of different Vaishnavis visiting us, sharing with us, and, and we will begin with Archana Siddhi Dasi. And the, the title for the episode will be Strengthening the Bonds that, frees, that Free Us. Mm -hmm. So that's quite connected to our, the last note we just mentioned in, <laughs> in today's episode. So thank you so much to all of you. Sorry if we were not able to re reply to all the comments. We will try to do so during the week in the thread. Thank you so much to Krishna Prabhu. Mm -hmm. And see you all very soon, very soon.